Welcome to the Divorce TV show. We're now running monthly rather than weekly and that means I can have a little bit longer. So we're keeping the show to an hour but I have been able to bring in an extra guest for each month. So our guests today are going to be from the UK, Jane Wildish, who's a divorce and final financial coach, a Californian certified divorce financial analyst, Ivan, uh, Ivan sorry, Lovegren. He is, uh, well, I did a recording with him because he isn't able to be with us live, but he says some really useful things. Californian certified divorce real estate expert, Bridget Potterton, who's going to be with us live, and uh, a he with Susan Cowmiller. The news I'll bring to you a little bit later. We'll be talking about the divorces of Big Bang Theory's Kaylee Cuoco, comedian Alan Carr divorcing his husband, the Screwfix millionaire who failed at trying to screw the finances of his divorce, and the man who divorced his wife during the wedding reception. I'm not kidding. First of all, though, we're going to uh, I'm going to introduce our next or first guest of today. And welcome to Jane. Your, it's your first time on the show, isn't it? We haven't, in fact, I don't think we've met properly before. No, we, were no. we were introduced recently by one of the, the lovely healers who's been on the on the show before. And I'm really keen to talk to you today, Jane, because you work in the area of, of not just divorce, but finance. And uh, as we all know, that's pretty much what most of it's about when it, when it comes to splitting the finances. So perhaps to start with saying a little bit about where you fit in in the in the jigsaw of how people you know get a divorce and who they should be talking to and when. Sure, and I like the use of the word jigsaw because I view everyone as a financial jigsaw. So my background is that I was an IFA and had my own business, um, sold the company and then split up with my husband. Um, retrained as a divorce coach with Sarah Davison, so I'm accredited uh, and I've taken a second course with her called Master Practitioner, which involves working with Dash on a voluntary basis, um, looking at controlling behaviours and controlling people in much more detail. Um, so using my financial experience, I'm helping people look at the financials, prepare the formies. Some solicitors throw the formies at clients and say, get on with it. Some people help them line by line. Um, I love the jobs that most solicitors hate. I love looking through bank statements and finding errors and inconsistencies. So I can work with someone from day one looking at planning for separation and thinking how can I prepare uh, through to going through the for me's and through to analysing the ex-partners for me and looking at questions and everything in between. And so in plain English, uh, would you say that um, you say it's something solicitors might go through it line by line but I mean that's an expensive way to fill in a form I mean there's no yeah. there's no legal aspect to recording your in ingoings and outgoings is there so you don't actually need no, no. a solicitor you might get some guidance from a solicitor on certain aspects but really it is the job of someone who understands understands finances is going to be much more useful to them at that point yeah yeah yeah, so I, I guess, yeah, every, every solicitor is different. So, um, you know, it's working with them or working with a client. I'm working with a new lady today in isolation of a solicitor. So we're doing all the paperwork and she, she's doing self-representation in court. So everybody's different. Um, she has a quite complicated situation. So I've given her a list of stuff to prepare, send over to me and then go mm -hmm. through it to prepare a form. But as you say, you can do some, you can do it on your own. Um, or you come up with someone, but you know, you do know your finances, sorry, you may, you may know your finances, you may not. So it depends on your situation, how much help you need. 
and you, and even if you're quite a smart person and you know yeah you're normally fine with it it's such a traumatic experience for a lot of people and there's so much fear around it um i think it's brilliant that there's that you can help them overcome that because quite often i'm i'm introducing people to a financial planner who does long-term cash flow forecasting and they're going to help them work out how to split everything but in order to do that they need if not the for me itself all the information that needs to go into that they need someone to yeah. get it all together but it, it is amazingly difficult for a lot of people to be able to do that so how how do you help them overcome that sort of sitting there glazed feeling of just thinking i don't know how to start well to show how bad it is i mean as a financial advisor i was used to doing paperwork and i got my own and i looked at it and i thought oh my god i don't even know where to start so I just started getting organised first, and I think that's the first thing to do. Prepare a list of what you need. So people that are working with me, I give them a list of what they may need. Obviously, don't wait. What I find with people though is that one, once you start talking and digging, one thing leads to another, and actually, you might have years old pensions. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, things you forget about. Every asset counts. A bit of crypto here, something that so a, hand, a designer handbag, your golf clubs, um, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. even a penny jar in some some cases so it's getting organized get the paperwork ready and then sit with someone like myself and um, that can sit and go through it and ask the questions that lead on to another question I guess um, and presenting it in the best way and presumably you you can do all of this through the wonderful zoom yes yeah it is a, I have been meeting people face to face but yeah we do do it on zoom as well um, so you know, it depends on where someone is in the country yeah and so what help because the, the, as a job um, and I do I know a few people who do something similar but but very few who will go right I'm going to help you right now just get all of this together and then and understand what it is so that they can then go and work um, with do, with a financial planner or self-representing corporate but at least they've got all the information together or just to put it in the full paperwork so they can do their online divorce how uh, i'm surprised how few people are, are sort of providing that service because it's kind of a crucial in, interim service if, if you like how did you come to to decide that that's what you're going to do rather than follow your previous career which you know would have thought would be better paid um well for start, i'm handcuffed until as a result of selling the business so i'm not allowed to mm. give financial advice and i'm not regulated so i don't give financial advice I actually really enjoy people's jigsaws um, and I, I, I love going through the make, make, pushing the puzzle back together, putting it all out the box and um, putting it back together in a more ordered way and then hand it over to a regulated advisor where needed. And, di- and did you, when you were working in the, um, uh, before you sold the business, did you find that you would get frustrated because you'd ask people to give you stuff and, and it wouldn't appear? Yeah, and people forget. And suddenly they yeah. go, oh yeah, I've got something here on the life cover and you know the essentials that people forget about in divorce with the emotion and and the worry and the cost. You forget about what happens if the husband, let's assume husband's paying maintenance, they get sick. What about sick pay? Um, what about insuring the maintenance? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's working with solicitors in that instance to say we need to think about insurances here and look beyond. People say, oh, well, I've got sick pay. Well, what does that actually mean? If you get done drunk driving, will your sick pay cover you, for example? Mm. And it's the questions that we don't think about that are really, really important. And do you work mainly with um, with women or do you have the um, gentlemen as well who are making, because I imagine they would find you just as useful? 
yeah yeah I, I'm not I have no preference who I work with um typically at the moment it has been more women um I've had a few chaps I've been working with as well but no it, men can be financially controlled as well as women so it's both yeah. sides and also they can be completely overwhelmed or haven't got the time inclination or focus yeah. to do the paperwork so it's just making sure you need to do this now let's do it make a time and then they commit to doing it as well I'm interested in what you're saying there about the controlling side. So explain a little bit more about how that fits in with, with the work that you do. Oh, unfortunately, every lady I've seen in the last three months is mm. a victim of or has suffered financial abuse. Financial abuse is where uh, you don't have access to your funds. You may not be able to leave because they control the money. Uh, have instances where people are given an amount. They give their salaries to the household if they're employed. The man manages it, for example, um, mm. and then they're given an allowance, and they may even have to justify two pound fifty on a coffee ho- coffee in Costa with a receipt. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of it, but there's also apathy in women as well with financials. Um, in fact, this has made me look at some of my old clients where they were blindly signed a form. Yes, just sign here, darling. Yes, of course, lovely, without even questioning the paperwork. Mm. Fortunately, there's things like income protection and pension planning, and not actually raising equity on the house uh, how many people are actually so blindly signing forms for mortgages or loans or credit cards in their name without actually realizing that's what they're doing um, so there is apathy as well as control um, and I think as women we do need to take more responsibility of our finances and know what's going on and how much debt we have as a household what's coming in and where's it being spent and how do you how do you help people I mean you, you tell them what to put get together the paperwork but and is there you know, a bit more to the process? I'm, I'm sure it's more than just filling in the for me. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to look at what you need and what's important. And uh, one thing that people do do forget or don't give enough weight to is the pension. Um, mm-hmm. Pensions these days could be as much as a house, particularly if you work somewhere like BP uh, with with a long service. Um, the fund value and the, 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 um, the effect of the pension when you retire could be huge. And if you just say, do you know what, you keep that and I'll keep the house what happens when the maintenance stops or the children leave home suddenly you can't afford to live and you could you face poverty in retirement so it's really crucial i think there's less than 15 percent i'm sure the figure was less than that less than 15 percent of cases that go through court do not share any pensions the, i mean the court the courts women. the courts aren't there to actually tell you what to do they're there to get you out as quickly no. as possible you, yeah, you yeah. have to go yeah, in prepare you, it's more yeah sorry you the case is already done, but the, the yeah. number of sorry, the number of cases going through court where there is pensions sharing or pensions are um, used mm. is less than fifteen percent, which is worrying for women in retirement. Yeah, because they, they probably are pensions there, but they. I mean, I often talk to people where they go, "Oh, it's not very much," and I go, oh, "Are you a pensions expert? <laughs> Do you, wouldn't you like um, to check? Because um, <laughs> because you um, might be surprised." <laughs> if, well, how, you know, you did. It might not be much today, but what's it going to be worth in 20 years' time? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're all seeing inflation at the moment. And mm. uh, if you have a defined benefit or an occupational pension, some mm. of those are inflation protected massively. So it's um, it's really something that needs to be considered and should not be traded just blindly. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and as you say, the, co- the courts don't necessarily, they don't go, oh, by the way, 
you know, have you considered this? That, that That's not their job. You've got to go in no. ready and prepared, haven't oh. you? And ideally, of course, yeah. missing out the court altogether and, and going into mediation, yeah, yeah. which you you need to be even more prepared for because you want to, you don't want to be going backwards and forwards. You want to have everything ready, don't you? So do you work, uh, do many of your clients um, also use mediation? What's your been experience of, yeah, of yeah. supporting yeah. them? Yeah. Um, I guess the main route I'm working with at the moment is collaboration where it when it comes from the solicitors where they are the mm. solicitors are sort of putting stuff together and the clients mm. are not actually mediating directly um yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag really with what you're seeing but there, I think there's definitely a sea of change with build your team and have your army in place first um yeah. and then who don't we need rather than suddenly oh you've got a five grand bill for a pension actuary what do I need that for uh, yes another cost um so yeah, that's thinking about your team and who can you get to do different work for you? What can your accountant do? What can your IFA do? What can your coach mm. do? Um, and different pieces. And also remember, and if you are paying a solicitor, if you're crying down the phone and going through, oh, he's yeah. done this or she's done that, you're um, sharing every detail, you're paying possibly 300 pound an hour for that. And yeah. are these are the solicitors with respect trained? Are they, um, what qualifications do they have to sit and help you move forward and deal with mm. that? They're there to help you with the legals. And I think it's very easy. You become very involved with your solicitor because you're telling them lots mm. of personal information. But they're not your friends. They are your legal representative and a very expensive route as well. Yeah, you have to be used carefully. And, and I imagine you charge a lot less per hour than a, than a lawyer does, which is great for anyone yes, getting divorced. Yes. That's brilliant. So well, um, when uh, I'll be sending you the links for the show later, so I'd love you to you know, pop some more information on onto those links so people can find out more if that's that's okay. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much for for joining. I love your I love your porthole. I used to live on boats, so it just reminds me of that. <laughs> but you're not actually on a boat at the moment, are you? No, I'm not. No, no this is my kitchen. <laughs> it look, it's a good look. Thanks so much, and I hope to speak to you okay. again soon. Bye. Yeah, Thank you. Wonderful. Um, yes. Yeah, so if you're glazing over at the thought of getting all the financial information together, um, be, you know, there's people out there who can help you. So let's have a quick roundup of the news. I've gathered uh, four stories for us today. Right, we've got here from the mirror, Big Bang Theory's Kaylee Crocco close to settling divorce with billionaire heir X. Uh, the actress, best known for her role as Penny on The Big Bang Theory, announced her split from her soon-to-be ex-husband shortly after their third wedding anniversary last year. Now, Carl, who is the son of a billionaire called Scott Cook, is said to be using Kim Kardashian's divorce attorney, Laura Wasser, as the former couple divide their assets and look to complete their divorce. This is this is the, as reported in the Mirror. Now, Carl's lawyer is considered one in the best in the business, says the Mirror, having been involved in resolving Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's child custody battle hmm, and Dr. Dre's complicated breakup in the past. Well, anyone who's watched this show before, you know, we've got an on -run, ongoing saga with, with Brad Pitt and Ange Angelina Jolie. And of course, the journalist clearly hasn't done some basic research here. Jolie, Jolie dumped Laura Wassa as her lawyer in 2018 because, it is said, Jolly was intent on fighting Brad Pitt publicly over custody and support and Wassa is known for guiding her celebrities' clients 
to sharing custody and working out the issues privately. So it wasn't a good fit. So it's probably a good thing that Kaylee's hubby is using Laura. It's believed an ironclad, ironclad prenuptial agreement was in place before Kaylee, 36, and Carl tied the knot back in 2018. So that's probably the last we'll hear of this divorce then because they're just going to sort it out, aren't they? It's all already decided. Um, very smart move on their part. Alan Carr in the UK, he's a, a comedian very well-known comedian and unfortunately his marriage didn't recover after husband his husband claimed a black eye happened after a row uh, he stuck a picture of himself with a black eye um, on social media and, and said something like we rowed we had a row which is not a good inference and um, but it says comedian Alan Carr and husband Paul Drayton announced this is the mirror again that they were splitting jointly and amicably after 13 years of marriage Paul had removed the photo of himself he put online with a black eye after an hour and confirmed the next day via a statement that Alan would never, not and has never hit him. Alan said that he had been in Wales at the time of the incident and said that the injury was a result of Paul being back on the wagon. Addiction, misrepresentation, have you been subjected to any of those things? Feel free to, to comment in the uh, comment in the comments they have jointly and amicably made the difficult decision to divorce and go their separate ways and let's hope it stays that way the daily mail we move on to now with screw fix millionaire faces having to hand ex-wife more of his fortune after already giving her his 3.25 million pound mansion and 10.4 million pound in cash in long-running divorce feud you think, well, isn't that enough? But, you know, his wife really has got a good point here. Says this is the latest twist in a long-running row between the divorced couple. Mr and Mrs Goddard Watts, both in their 50s, had reached an agreement in 2010. But since then, they have been there have been numerous further court actions over money. So, this is because he wasn't very honest about the amount of money. So, Mr Justice Cohen is analysing the latest round of a long-running row between James Goddard Watts and former wife Julia at a hearing in the Family Division of the High Court in London. The judge is overseeing a private trial which is due to end next month and has placed limits on what can be reported. You, you can keep it private too. You can use arbitration and have a private judge. It doesn't have to cost the earth. You don't need to be uh, own you know, screw fix to afford it. Mr Goddard Watts agreed his ex-wife should get a house worth £3.25 million and a £4 million lump sum. Julia Goddard Watts subsequently complained Mr Goddard Watts had not revealed the full extent of his wealth. So if any of you are thinking about not being fully honest, be warned. A judge then concluded Mr Goddard Watts had given a false presentation when making the 2010 agreement and in 2016 the businessman was told to hand Mrs Goddard Watts more than £6 million. So he should have just told the truth in the first place. Personally I think people should be prosecuted for lying and cheating in that way but that's just me. Mr Justice Holman said that if the pair could not agree on a sum a judge should again reassess evidence and decide if Mrs Goddard Watts should get more money. Um, he said in a case which uh, he said a case in which a woman has twice complained about non-disclosure after a settlement has already been sorted was vanishingly rare and probably unique. 
The Law Society Gazette report adds a bit more. Mr Justice Holman closed his ruling in Goddard Watts versus Goddard Watts to make entirely neutral observations about the folly of continuing litigation which will run to millions of pounds. The judge pleaded with the parties to find a way to resolve the issue out of court, noting that their combined cost exposure was a, from a fully contested further so-called final hearing could run to two and a half million pounds. He said this amounted to absurdly profligate spending. So, in my personal opinion, this stupid ex-husband not only failed to disclose two valuable trusts of which he was the principal beneficiary, but then wasted thousands fighting a losing battle instead of just settling. That's to me, a, is very silly. But don't get too excited if you discover your spouse misrepresented their assets, then make sure you have very clear and undeniable proof before you take any action. In which case, if they're smart, they'll just settle way before going to court. And we also now have the finale here of our news stories. Man divorces wife during wedding reception after song causes family row. Although marriages don't always work out, they typically make it beyond the wedding day, says MS, this MSN article. But that's not the case for one couple in Baghdad, as they topped the record for the fastest divorce case in Iraq this year after calling it quits during the reception. The groom ended the marriage after his wife played a provocative song during the celebrations. Gulf News reports that the tune Mesitara by Lamis Khan includes some questionable, questionable lyrics. The first part of the song can be roughly translated to I am dominant. You will be ruled under my strict instructions. I will drive you crazy if you looked at other girls on the street. Sorry, I'm not going to give you the tune. My message to his wife is, well, she's, she's probably well out of that one. Susie Rant, and that's what I'm going to come up with later. Um, but I'm going to, we're going to have another interview first before I have my little rant. The worst mistake someone can make going through divorce is not talking to a financial expert. And I say that it doesn't have to be me. Find anyone that has the letters CDFA behind their name and talk to them because there are not enough of us and there is way too much need. The worst thing is the amount of times that my phone rings and it's someone who says, I signed this divorce agreement and I don't know what I'm getting. And that may sound outlandish to you, especially if you're just starting off in the process. The, the divorce process can't be that bad. It happens time and time again. So I don't even have anything fancy for why you should talk to somebody about your finances specifically. It's literally something that people expect in the process and the attorneys most of the time don't even do. So the way the process is broken is people go and they hire an attorney, they pay them a, a big retainer, you know, five, $10,000 retainer. And then they send them a few documents. They don't hear anything from their attorney until all of a sudden they get a bill for more work. And they're like, what, what happened? What's what went on? Well, there is a lot of work. I'm not saying that to say the attorneys aren't working. There's a lot of filing and, and preparing of papers and things of that nature that is part of the legal process, but doesn't help you understand what you own, what you owe, and what you can afford to keep. That's what's most important to you is, am I going to be okay? Is there enough money here? So the second step in that is there are some lawyers that are really good at dividing assets. 
dividing assets, drawing a line down the middle, doesn't sound that hard. And sometimes you'll meet a lawyer who is still really good at that. But are they going to explain to you if that's enough? Are they going to explain to you why that's a good deal? Are they going to be able to tell you, look, this amount of money turns into $6,000 a month for the rest of your life. This amount of money turns into $12,000 a month for the rest of your life, because that's what you need to know. You need to not just know that it was an equal split. You need to know that your needs are going to be met because I'll tell you the other thing that I see all the time is I get a phone call from uh, you know, a, a woman in her fifties and I am shocked at how young they are, how young they sound. When we do our first zoom meeting, how young they look, you have a ton of life ahead of you. This is not the end. This is literally the beginning. So the way that you could remove all that fear and doubt is to actually look at the numbers on a page, get them simplified to a single page and see how each decision that you make will impact your ability to have money every week, every month for the rest of your life. It's not always rosy. The numbers don't always provide for that. If we know in advance that they won't provide for that, again, we can remove a lot of the fear and the tension and create a game plan for how to fill the gap. Simply not knowing and just getting a lump sum, that's where all the fear and uncertainty comes in that impacts the next 30 years of your life. The other biggest challenge that people go through in divorce is how do I manage my spouse? Because I no longer have the power to manage them. They're no longer my spouse or very soon they're not going to be my spouse. And there can be a lot of fear with that. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll meet with, a, 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 I'll say oftentimes the person that reaches out to me is the lower earner, the person who feels less equipped. And one thing I hear constantly is, especially if it's coming from a woman, you know, my husband is crafty. My husband is smart. My husband's been preparing for this. My, my husband does things with money that I don't know about. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that is entrenched from just the way that we raise people in society. Even today, you know, there is this disparity that we see and oftentimes the husband is not calling up a CDFA. The husband is not hiring a financial expert. Uh, I hear husbands making offers all the time that are unrealistic and, and simply not within the legal bounds. Uh, one time heard a husband literally say, okay, I'll give you custody if you leave and give me the house. Now there are some compromises that we end up agreeing to during the process. I warn clients from the beginning, you, you don't win a divorce. No one wins in divorce. It's always a lose lose. When we go through the process the right way, we're able to calculate that cost. The flip side of that is that you shouldn't give up 200,000 in equity in a home just to walk away with your children. That's not right. That's not what the law will say. Um, and that husband hadn't spoken to a lawyer. That husband just thought, I can do this. So don't take your spouse's words at their face value. Talk to somebody who knows and understands and can give you counsel. And you'll be shocked to find 
that you're doing a better job than they are, that you're more equipped than they are, that when you go into your first mediation or God forbid you end up in litigation and in court, the judge or the mediator looks at you and says, yeah, this makes sense. Or, you know, yeah, this is fair. This is right. Or this is the way we'll split the assets uh, while the other spouse doesn't know what they're doing. The flip side is that, so again, those were the harsher examples. I do see a lot of times when the husband provides a fair offer and the wife can't hear it or can't register it as fair or has distrust, um, maybe because she watched the first three minutes of this video. And I tell spouses in that scenario, you know, this is actually great that I'm here because I will, I'm aiming for fair as well as needs being met. So if we can meet the needs of both parties and have it be fair, that's the closest thing to a win that you're going to get financially in divorce. So you need to know both of those things. Is this fair? And does this meet my needs? But once you know those two things, how easy is it to say, Hey, do I want this divorce done or not? Yeah, I can agree to this. And so in a situation where communication is possible, notice I didn't say easy. I just said possible. We can diffuse a lot of divorces by just doing the basic financial work and explaining it in a way that makes sense to your need. And a lot of times the spouse ends up being grateful for that because all of a sudden it went from, you know, she's trying to take everything to, oh, she's hearing a fair offer and she's looking for what's fair. And maybe now I'm willing to give up a little bit because Ivan's telling me also, hey, this is how we get it done. So it's all about getting the, the numbers out, being able to see them with clarity and with confidence to make those decisions. And in a lot of cases, it will defuse the spouse and either prevent a narcissistic spouse from bullying and abusing or help a, you know, an average spouse get that little bit of grace and relief they need for the deal to be fair. So that's, that's how we work on managing the spouses in the process is if they're completely uneducated, all of a sudden you're smarter than them. And by uneducated, I mean in divorce financial uh, matters because they're different than they're different than traditional taxes. They're different than traditional financial matters. There's a, a code and a way that you handle assets in divorce, that you handle support and income in divorce. That's different than anything else. And odds are really strong. Your spouse doesn't actually have that expertise and you can, or if the spouse is at least amicable, a lot of times we get brought into that meeting and we walk through the financials and why it's fair. We walk through why we're proposing this and how it meets your need. And suddenly they hear something different, not, oh, this is what she wants. It's, well, this is what she needs. If I give them that, this will be done. So that's where we like to focus in working with the other spouse or managing the other spouse, even though we don't have control over them per se.
even is going to be part of the California first California divorce, uh, divorcing a difficult, difficult spouse workshop. I could give myself an easier name for a workshop, uh, which is coming up in February. And um, yeah, he's great. He's great. I'll get some got a fantastic team uh, for this Californian workshop. Now I'm just going to do a very before we reach out for our shared story. I'm just going to do a quick rant. Um, it's based on the Lexology article, which is a, a legal magazine. And I, I just thought it's really interesting as well. It talks about, um, you know, I know I've ranted, I've ranted a lot already about how long it's taken for the UK to get rid of fault-based divorce. Not quite there, but we will be in April. But this article made me realise how comparatively luckily, lucky we have been compared to the recent past. Because divorce scandals, uh, the article asks, are they finally a thing of the past? Now, the BBC's A Very British Scandal aired over Christmas and it epitomised the pain and publicity of divorce in the 1960s. So although the Duke and Duchess of Argyle's story is somewhat extreme, it nevertheless underlines the importance of the upcoming divorce law reforms, which are long overdue. Some 60 years later, we will finally see the end of the blame game with the introduction of no-fault divorce in the UK in April 2022. Divorce only became possible through the courts in the UK in 1857. Before then, it required an act of parliament and so also huge wealth and political weight. Divorce cases were heard in public and created tabloid sensations. They pitted husband and wife against each other. If both had behaved badly, the divorce could be refused. They needed a villain and a victim, a guilty party and a wronged party. Goodness, I wasn't a divorce strategist back then. Men had to prove their wife's adultery in open court and prove they had not colluded with or condoned it. And predictably, women had the harder task until 1923, it's not that long ago, of they had to also prove an aggravating factor such as incest, sodomy or bestiality. <laughs> Nothing minor then. Um, I find that incredible. One creative solution for unhappy couples back then was the hotel divorce. Adultery could be legally inferred if there was both inclination and opportunity. So liaisons were staged, usually by the seaside, with paid third parties and unsuspecting witnesses before involving nothing more scandalous than a very public promenade and breakfast in bed brought by an unsuspecting chambermaid. This charade, immortalised by A.P. Herbert in his novel Holy Deadlock, was illegal and required the couple and any extras to commit perjury, risking criminal prosecution. In 1937, the grounds for divorce for both husband and wife were extended to include incurable insanity, willful desertion, cruelty, life imprisonment and habitual drunkenness. So before 1937, those just weren't good enough reasons to get a divorce. But still, each matrimonial offence had to be proved in open court. As society shifted after the Second World War, calls for divorce reform grew louder and the law was changed so that either spouse could base a divorce on the irretrievable breakdown of the marriage. The regime, which has applied since then, has required the breakdown to be proved by one of five facts, adultery, behaviour, desertion or separation, for either five years or two years if the other party agrees. And although the concept of a matrimonial offence was removed, the fault-based system and the hostile language persist. Uh, a spouse still commits the offence of adultery. In practice, couples unwilling to wait but hoping to move on constructively have been encouraged by lawyers um, and also 
by people like me to agree the wording of unreasonable behaviour petitions in divorce. This consensual collusion, collusive, get it right, consensual collusive manipulation of the law as described by Sir James Mumby, formerly president of the family division, I call it playing the game, stupid as it is, was made more difficult following the infamous 2018 Supreme Court case in which Mrs Owens was denied a divorce from her husband despite describing the marriage as unhappy and wretched. So this outcome was not a failure by judges who faithfully applied the law, but a failure of multiple governments to reform outdated laws, a failure to prioritise families over more palatable vote-winning policies. No-fault divorce was oven-ready in the mid-90s, but it was never brought into force until this year. Think about that. So if your divorce started badly because of the blame game, maybe you should be angrier with the government than you are with your ex. Finally, though, from April 22, couples will be able to divorce without attributing blame. They will no longer have to go through a charade or a process which risks unnecessarily increasing the acrimony when marriage ends. After a six-month cooling-off period, the divorce can be finalised online. It takes that long anyway with all the pressures on the court. So the, um, and that gives you time to sort out your finances. But annoying for couples wanting a simple, clean break online divorce, of course, because some of them could do it much quicker. And this cooling off period, as they call, um, you know, please, can one person out there please let me know how, why, why do we need a cooling off period? Um, even though it's been amicable and everything is agreed, because apparently the government thinks you have chosen to divorce without serious consideration. You know, like it's as if it's just a whim and I've never understood that attitude. The article concludes, crucially, parents will instead be able to focus on reaching agreements about their children and finances, forming a new co-parenting relationship and moving on constructively. Um, let's hope they will. I don't think it's a, a, a magic pill for that, but certainly a step in the right direction. Let's have our shared story. So welcome, Bridget, to the Divorce TV Show. And you've got some good stories to share with us today. So just for, if you, um, just let people know what you do as your, your business, because that's where, you're, where you've got the stories from. Yes, um, thank you so much for having me on again today. So I am a certified divorce real estate expert here in San Diego, California. And today I wanted to share a hot topic that a lot of people are talking about. This is probably one of the most uh, contentious divorce uh, stories. I, I'm guessing probably this year. It certainly was last year. Uh, the story I'm talking about is the story of Kelly Clarkson's divorce. So there's a lot of complications when you are getting divorced. And certainly being a celebrity is, is no exception to that. It makes it a lot more difficult. And in their case, there's quite a few things going on that uh, I think would be interesting to talk about. Uh, first of all, they are, um, as you know, going through a divorce. They have several properties around the country here in the States. And they filed divorce in California, is my understanding. And I believe uh, her attorney is actually Laura Wasser as well. And um, so so one that, that Steve was already talking about with some of the previous celebrities. However, one of the properties that is causing all the ruckus and a lot of content you're seeing all over the internet 
is this famous uh, Montana ranch that they own. Now, apparently Kelly Clarkson bought it herself uh, and, and she's on the title. Brandon Hurst, soon to be ex, is not on the title. So the challenge that uh, we're seeing is that there's gonna be a lot of back and forth probably, there already has been. Her intention was likely to try to sell the property. But right now she has essentially a tenant that she cannot get out. So there was a huge change in the case, I believe yesterday or the day before, where it was announced that she has agreed to give him a minority ownership in the property of about 5%. So there, it's still not clear exactly what the game plan is, but certainly she and her attorney are up to something. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens in the next couple of months with the property. Um, she is giving a lot of spousal support to Brandon, so he likely would be able to maintain the property during this time. Uh, but right now he's living in it, he's not on title. They've got kids, it's a high conflict situation. The other complexity is that they filed in California Montana is a different state and every state in the United States has different rules. So uh, a judge in California saying that, uh, you know, this you know, Mr. Blackstock can be evicted may not be as effective as a judge in Montana saying the same thing because we have different rules. So it's, it's a very interesting case, certainly one that I think we'll all kind of keep an eye on. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, whether or not he keeps the property, even though it's in her name, or if, he, if they end up forcing the sale, which could be very complex in and of itself if he stays living on the property. So stay tuned for that. And, and what could she have done to reduce this? Is there anything, are there any clear mistakes that she made that you, you can see? How would you, what would you, advice would you have given her if, you, if you'd been able to go back in time? <laughs> Good question. So in this case, they did sign a prenup prior to uh, getting married. So there is a, a, a an agreement already set up for certain things. My understanding is that this property was bought uh, during their marriage. So here in California, we have community property. There's, I believe, about 13 states in the United States that have community property, uh, but but most of the states don't. So it gets sticky about who gets what and where. He likely is never gonna get a majority of ownership in that property. Um, she may be giving 5% of the property for some reason, and, and I'm not sure why. It seems a little bit un, unusual. It's sort of a, um, a, a quick shift in the case that I did not see coming. So I'll be interested to see what happens in the next couple of, of months. But as far as what she could have done, it, it is complicated because, you know, she probably had a pretty good ironclad uh, prenup. But when you get so much property and assets and income, she made a lot of money during their marriage. They've been married for, for a while. Then, you know, that's the problem is that's that's the um, that's what the attorneys need to duke out. And selling a, a marital asset, even though he's not on the title, uh, it was still acquired during their marriage. So it, it's a it's a complex issue. And uh, I don't envy the attorneys that are, are working on the case with this property, especially with the type of property it is. It's, it's an income producing ranch. So it's a business and a home. Wow. It's, 
it sounds like a very tricky one. So, um, yeah, when, when that is resolved, we must get you back into it. Uh, tell us all about it. Thank you so much, uh, Bridget, and, uh, and see you again soon, no doubt. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Right, very briefly before we get to our healing, we have here, uh, just wanted to let you know that on 7th of April, we have got, um, I'll just turn that down a little bit, it's a little bit loud. We have got ourselves a, a workshop in the UK. I've got a US one as well, So, but this is the 7th of April. This is the UK, this is just some of the teams, usual gang, and we have a few more as well that usually join us. So if you're in the UK and you're looking to uh, get yourself um, divorced in the best possible way, even if your spouse is tricky, then make sure that you download the app and you'll get you'll get all the details in there. And then here we have, very exciting, the first one in California. It's a bit of an experiment. We'll see how it works out because uh, I don't expect everything to be exactly the same just because we've gone from one um, country to another. And this is happening on the 24th of February, uh, 8 to 10 p.m. This is that's a specific time. And so if you're in California, we've got I, Ivan, you've just seen there. He was uh, in the video earlier. He's great. We've got a, a mediator, Bob Glasser as well. He's from California, mediator, collaborative lawyer and uh, also attorney. So oh, we can get re relaxed now and we're ready to do some healing with uh, Susan Carmilla. And hello, Susan, and you're going to be doing uh, a bit of tapping with us today. Is that right? I'm doing some EFT tapping, yes. It, uh, practice, basic, good sound, basic lesson, helping people get the gist of it from the word go. Perfect. I shall let you loose on the... Let's have fun, you. everyone. Have fun, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, everyone. I am going to share some straightforward emotional freedom technique EFT tapping with you. I'm going to show you the points and I'll let you know when it's time that you can join in because I want to share that I've been working with tapping for 12 years with clients helping with debilitating stressors to improving health. So this is a lesson with benefits and along the way in this short sweet lesson. I'll be doing the tapping, but I may ask you what number you're feeling an intensity. I may ask you where you're feeling this feeling in your body. And equally, when energy, we're working with energy, when energy is released through tapping, sometimes people burp or their tummies rumble or they yawn. We're tapping on energy channels of the body and acupuncturists use needles. We use our fingertips. If you're new to tapping, please just copy me. And you can chop and change hands and you can chop and change what side of your face you do it is. And the aim is for you to feel more at ease and calm after a very few minutes. So please take this opportunity and we're going to start by tapping with the setup point, a negative, positive. Start tapping with your fingertips gently on the karate point and you're going to repeat statements after I've said them. I may go like this 
to let you know that you've to to respond. You say it out loud. You're in the privacy, presumably, of a, your own room somewhere. So please start copying me right now as you tap on your karate point. A deep breath in and out. Even though I feel anxious and ill at ease with all that's going on, I love and accept myself as best I can today. Even though I feel anxious and ill at ease with all that's going on, I love and accept myself as best I can today. Take your fingertips very gently and tap the top of your head. We're going to go through the tapping points, saying a phrase. Just follow what I do, please. Feeling anxious. Corner of the eye point. Feeling anxious and stressed. Side of the eye point. Not feeling good. I feel angry. Underneath the nose point. I feel anxious. You'll know what word relates to how you're feeling. I feel anxiety in my body. Where do you feel it in your body? We say, we give it a number and we, we say where we're feeling it. Where do you feel it in your body? It's an instant thing. So now under the nose, I feel this discomfort here on your chin, feeling uneasy. I feel anxious, there's too much going on. And then it's the under the arm point where women have a bra basically. There's lots of energy channels here. Repeat please. I'm feeling stressed and anxious. I forgot to put the timer on. I'll be feeling stressed and anxious. Top of the head. There's a lot going on in my life just now. Feeling very uncomfortable about it. This uncomfortable feeling has a number of number is it between zero and ten this it's got a number this unease that I feel holding me back from getting on with things not feeling any pleasure feeling great unease And I feel this unease. Where do you feel it? What number's it got? It's got a number 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Unease. Ten's very high. One's very manageable. What number's your unease? It's just holding me back. I could choose though. I could choose to let some of this go. I choose to release some of this unease. Underneath the nose. How does that feel? Perhaps you felt a, a sudden drop in the anxiety. I'm going to choose to let go of some of this unease. What's the point in keeping it? Collarbone point, tips of the fingers. It's in my power. I can get rid of some of this unease. I can get rid of some of this anger. I can choose to release stressors. I can choose to ease sadness. I can, I ease feelings of helplessness. I choose to feel better. I don't need this horrible feeling hanging about me. I can choose to release some of these horrible feelings and get on with the rest of my day. I can choose to ease some of this anxiety. And a last round very quickly, easing this anxiety, choosing to smile. That feels a whole lot better. Being in control of these horrible feelings. Choosing, choosing to feel a good bit better. Breathe in deeply, in and out. As you pat, pat, tap through the final points. Close your eyes for a moment, please. Take some deep breaths as I finish off by saying this. You are powerful enough to release heightened anxiety. Breathe this in and out and open your eyes. You, you can tap and feel considerably better in the space of a very few minutes. And if you want to find out more in the comments later, I'll be adding a link that you may choose to look at. EFT is very powerful, very effective. Thank you for taking part. Thank you, Susie. Brilliant. That was perfect timing. You've done it so much now, uh, Susan, that you you intuitively know when when it ends. So that'll be great. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll be uh, checking that out again later because I'll be able to relax more <laughs> later. So I often do rerun the rerun the healings. So just to end this, I'm I need to 
leave on time today because I've got my uh, divorce, a secret divorce group who are based in the app. Obviously, they don't physically live in the app, but that's where the group chat is and we do a monthly beat up. So we'll, I'll be going straight into that on Zoom afterwards. Um, any members of the group can then just come and have a chat, ask questions. And it's just a, another way I keep uh, ongoing support available to people going through divorce that's um, as cheap as chips and, and saving them lots of money and stress and helping them keep them on, them on track as well. So if you are in that situation, pop into the bestwaytodivorce.online app, Best Way to Divorce app, and you'll be able to access it and join the secret divorce group that way. Uh, you get a special rate though if you join the Californian or the UK workshop and you get 30 days free. So if you're going to get a ticket, do that first because that gives you a um, a less expensive and also a free trial as well for the group. So in the war of divorce, on the battlefield of family separation, always, always make peace your weapon of choice.